0: One, two, one, two. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that you are the cornerstone. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are what we build our life on. We pray, Jesus, that you and only you would be the center of our focus this afternoon. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would speak to our people. Uh, When we come together, uh, there really isn't anyone we need to hear from except you. We have not come to hear the thoughts of men. Uh, men can come up with eloquent words, but only you have words that have true power, power to transform the life of the ones in this room. So God, we pray that your spirit, the spirit of the living God, will fall fresh on this time. Would you just talk to people? And, and would you just divide yourself out and minister to each one of us in here and speak the word that we've been longing to hear? You have the conditions of our life set up for things that we need to hear So, God, I pray that you would speak. And at the end of this time, we pray that you have spoken. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good to see everybody here today. Uh, I am, uh, by way of announcement, I want to make a couple of announcements. First, uh, we want to remind people that we have our new members class. Our new members class is um, August 23rd, which is after church this next upcoming Sunday. After church This next upcoming Sunday, if we could um, turn these lights down, I feel like my eyeballs are about to melt right in front of me, so if we could turn these down just a little bit. Um, The second announcement I want to make is that I have some family here, I don't know if they're all here right now, but my mom is here, one, so if my my mom, if my mom could stand up real quick, hello mother, (laughs) Would you believe she's going to be embarrassed, would you believe she turned 74 years old yesterday? I know, I know. It's in the jeans, it's in the jeans. Right? And then my sister is here. Cassie, would you stand up real quick? There you go. Hi, Cassie. That's my oldest sister. She's a little older than me. And then my two cousins, my two cousins, Kasim and Khalil, are here. Would you guys stand up? Brooklyn residents. Kasim, some of you guys might have seen him on American Idol this past year. Killing the game. That's, I'm serious. He was on American Idol, so um, I was prad- proudly posting that on Facebook. Then my nephew is here. Would you stand up? Big old Cameron. Look, at, We're obviously, we are literally born on the same day, and we have some of the same problems. So... Um, uh, uh, do I need to announce anybody else? I mean, my wife is here, but praise God she's always here. Okay. okay. Uh, all right, that's it. All right. Um, yeah, so uh, new members and, uh, and my family is here. All right. Man, we are in, we're going into a new series, and I am elated about it because I, I honestly believe if you apply what we are talking about to your life, I believe you will be more effective in the Christian life, even, and even if you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, if you don't say, hey, I believe in the Christian doctrine. If you're not a Christian, if you apply this stuff to your life just as a human being, you'll just be more effective as a person if you apply what we're talking about this series. It's a three-week series, and I promise you it'll help you be more effective as a human being. And even more as a Christian. In the book Outliers um, by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell, he points out a very unique idea. What he says in that book is that if you have the proficiency of 10,000 hours of practice in a given field, you become an expert in it. Meaning you become great. You stand out and you are more effective than other people. What he did was he did research about other fields of practice, and he saw how much time people put in. He looked at in Berlin in the early 1900s, there were violinists who at the age of five began practicing the violin. Then by the age of eight, they continued that practice, and they looked at by the age of 20, those same violinists, if they had kept up the same amount of practice, they were elite. And he said that they had practiced about 10,000 hours. And that made them greater than the other folks. He looked at Bill Gates. Bill Gates, we know he has Microsoft as a company. And as he looked at Bill Gates, he saw that uh, Bill Gates had, uh, throughout high school and in college, all he did, spent all his time coding, to the point at which that by the time 1975 came around, he dropped out of college and would start Microsoft. And then he also looked at the Beatles, he saw how the Beatles in 1962 were performing. They were performing, they had performed 1,200 concerts by the time they hit it big in 1964. And he, and he noted that most concerts, most, most musicians only do about 1,200 concerts in a lifetime. But now they had done 1,200 concerts before they hit it big. And when he said that they had about 10,000 hours of practice that set them part, apart in their field. And what he's saying is something we already know. The people that are great, whether it's athletes or entertainers, they put in the work. They put in the time that other people don't put in to make them more proficient and have a level of excellence that other people don't have. And we kind of know that. That's what makes them great. That's what makes them stand out. The problem is this. You can be great at a skill, but that doesn't mean you're a great person. What makes great people You know there there are people in your life that you know right now that there's something about them that make them great as individuals. Acquiring great skills is why people come to New York City. They come here to stand out, to be more proficient, to have more excellence. Whether it's the entertainment field or whether it's education, people in this city want to stand out above and beyond the rest. But just because they're standing out in their skills doesn't mean they stand out in their character. How can we be great people? Beyond our skills, what if you had great skills but you had great character as well? How effective, not just in what you do, but who you are, how effective would you be? And so really what this series is about, when we talk about refining greatness, we're saying the culture looks at greatness in terms of what you do, but we're looking at greatness as to who you are. Jesus speaks to this. One time he was speaking in Matthew 18... The disciples, and really it's so interesting in Matthew 18, it doesn't even give reference to where the conversation came from. It just says out of the blue, the disciples said, hey, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? But, you know, the disciples were wrestling with greatness in terms of people like we wrestle with greatness. Don't you rank yourself just a little bit? You know, you rank yourself as a father, a husband, a leader. You naturally rank yourself. Everything we do when you look up a restaurant, it's ranked on Yelp or whatever. Some of y'all found this church because you Googled the right words. Praise God for that. Thank you for coming. But you know, there's, everything's got rankings, right? And everything has rankings, and you rank yourself. Suddenly, you're trying to see where you land. And so the disciples were doing the same things we do. They said, Jesus, hey, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the top of the charts? Who's going to be the best? What does it mean? What, when you look at people, Jesus, who do you think is great? And so Jesus had this crowd around him. And what's crazy, this is what he did. He actually had a kid there, a child. And in Matthew 18 and 4, he takes the child and points to the child and he says this, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Now, what changes everything is that normally we tell children to look to adults as models. We never tell adults to look to children as examples. But Jesus says, no, there's something about this child that we need to mimic and emulate. There's something about him that we can see greatness in. Well, what was it? Is it because the kids were so good? Y'all know that ain't true, right? It, It wasn't the purity of the children. There are two things that you generally see coming from this text and other places that Jesus talks about greatness. It's humility and service. Humility in that Children really don't have a sense of entitlement. They have to do what their parents tell them to do, what adults tell them to do. They're constantly dependent. And in that society, in Roman society, a child was the primary servant of the home. So humility and service is really what he's getting at. And normally when I would do a series on greatness and even the times I've done this kind of in the past, I would normally talk about service. And I'd say, okay, guys, we're going to talk about how we can serve people and love people in this city. And we're going to be the greatest servants in the world. And this is what I've discovered. You can spend all your time serving but not be humble. It's crazy. In fact, what's crazy is that sometimes I've found some of the people that serve the most become the most proud. Or even the people that know the most become the most proud. So really, greatness isn't just about who does the most. It is the process by which they do it. It's the humility of heart they do it by. And so, th- so what's the work? What's the hours of work that we have to put in? Like, like he's talking about in Outlines. What's the work we have to put in? The work we have to put in to be great is fighting against the pride that so easily catches us up. The pride we so easily we fall into. If you can get proud from serving, you can get proud from anything. <laughs> Praise God. So it's pride that we're going to fight against and work against and talk about these next few weeks. Now, if you don't know what I mean, I'm not talking about pride like self-esteem. Like I'm proud of my mom and she's 75. I'm not talking about that kind of pride. I'm talking about the fact that you can't apologize. Oh, now we're hitting home. Mm. I'm, saying you, I'm, I'm, I'm saying you can't admit when you're wrong. I'm not talking about when you're wrong. I'm talking about when you're 95% wrong and everybody knows you're wrong and you just won't agree that you're wrong. I'm talking about the fact that you feel the need to exaggerate things all the time. I'm talking about the fact that you just don't know how to listen to people. That you, that if, if, if conversations are a tennis match, you hit the ball, then you run back over the other side, and you hit the ball the other way, and you constantly are talking to yourself, really, and the other person is there just as a sounding board. That it ke- it's keeping you from being effective in life. That's the kind of work that we're going to put in for three weeks and so just a word about pride, and then we're going to look in the book of Philippians chapter 2. But I wanted to say a few things about pride and how we can fight against it and be unleashed to greatness. One of the things I think that we need to make note of is that pride disfigures the way that you see yourself. And naturally disfigures the way that you see others. Have you ever been to like a carnival or to like, um, like Playland or some other places where they have those, those big mirrors that kind of morph you into something else? where you, you know, it's just like you walk up and now you're eight feet tall. It disfigures the way that you look. Pride disfigures the way that you see yourself. So Romans chapter 12, verse three says, don't think of yourself higher than you ought to think, but think of yourself with sober judgment. See yourself accurately. And so people that are proud have a higher or more elevated view of themselves. And generally when you have a more elevated view of yourself, people have a lower view of you. So here's the crazy part. You think you're something that people show enough don't think you are when it comes to your character. So what happens is they think they're big, but their character is small. And what it is is that they're, they, they're a vacuum. They're, they, they're, they're a vacuum in the room. Things have, they have a sense of entitlement. And so because they have a sense of entitlement, they're not yielded to help other people because they're so busy wanting people to help them. They are the center of their own universe, and they must have things done a certain way. And what's crazy is that there are people who have big character, but don't need as much attention. You know, they're, they're willing to help people because they don't need all the glory, they don't have to win every argument, and these are the kind of great people that I want to set us up to be. To have big character, but not need all the glory. Pride not only does that, but it also diminishes our capacity to love people. It diminishes our capacity to love people. We just can't do it. Sometimes we know what to say and what to do, but we just can't do it. Whoever rules the remote control in my house rules the TV, right? Is that how it works in your home? It's how it works in mine, right? Because if it's up to my wife, we're watching cooking shows all day, praise God. (laughs) Chopped volume 12 and 15 and on and on. And if it's me, we're watching ESPN all day. Whoever rules the remote, rules the TV. And in a lot of ways, you know what to say and do, but pride rules you. I mean, it's like a remote. It just tells you, there are things you need to say right now. You know you need to say it, but pride is saying, don't say it. Don't say it. You know, I know, I know, you're like, I just need to, don't do it, don't do it. You You need to let, you know what, silence is going to hurt them. And even if you haven't, like, had that real conversation with yourself, that's what you do. There are things you need to say. There are things you need to hear from people. And isn't it crazy when you're hearing something you know you need to hear, and there's something inside of you like, Shut up! You're just yelling inside of you. I don't want to hear this. That's pride. The pride in you says, be quiet. But there's something in you saying, oh, I need to hear. And whoever has the remote control is going to win. Is it, is it the love that you know you should have or is it the pride that so easily rules you? There are things you need to say, there are things you need to hear, the things you need to give. It's so hard for you to let others in. And so pride also crowds others out. It crowds people out. You can't, it's hard for you to let people in. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that when you're full of you, there's no room for anybody else. You're always thinking about yourself and you've all, you're, you're, again, you're at the center of your own attention. And it, and it is amazing because this generally affects the people that you love the most and hurts the relationship that you have with them, the people that gets closest to you. And so our pride prioritizes us, but deprioritizes everyone else in the room. But it not only crowds others out, it crowds God out. Psalm 10 and 4 goes like this It says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. There's no room to be dependent on God because you're so strong in and of yourself. Your mind is held hostage to your pride because you are the center of your own universe. And it's not that you don't believe in God, it's that you have a hard time depending on Him. So regardless of how much theologically you may believe, at the end of the day, unbridled pride leads to practical atheism. You just don't lean on the Lord because you're so busy leaning on yourself. You see, see what it does, it crowds others out, it crowds God out. Why would you need a God when you're the God of your own universe? What matters, what difference does it make if God is strong when you think you're so strong? No, it leads to practical atheism. Pride is a prison and it shuts us in and it shuts others out and it shuts God out. So so this is the work we're gonna do. Y'all ready to go to work? Amen, yes, I can't wait to work on my pride. Jesus washed people's feet, man. What a servant he was. He literally, and and, and when he washed people's feet, it was the imagery of what a slave would do. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, Son of God, Son of man, all these great cornerstone, all these things we sing about him. He is the most elevated position, but he brought himself to the lowest position. To wash the feet of people is what you would say the person that is ranked the least would do. And yet the person with the highest rank comes in and serves because he's lowly. You see, if you want to work against your pride, serve people, love people, care for people, that you, you, will, you will become Humble. When you think about the people that are in your neighborhood, in your life, at your work, and you make, you make up your mind to be a servant of them, not a judge of them, not looking at them, not evaluating all the problems with them, but looking at how you can look past their faults, look at the depth of their need, and serve them. Oh, you'll, you'll, you'll be a dynamic person. And people will love having you around. And so in this way... We see our model of service. We see our model of humility in Jesus. Now, the the point I want to make today, I do that as an intro to the series, but the point I want to make today is really in regards to relationships. Jesus, you know what Jesus did when he had a problem with people? He initiated reconciliation. He didn't wait and pray about it. He initiated reconciliation. Everybody say that, initiate, initiate initiated, he initiated, he started it. He knew there was a problem, so he handled it. He figured if there's a problem out there and someone has a problem with me or there's some problem out there I can solve, I'll initiate how to deal with it. Jesus coming to earth, incarnating himself is a picture of someone initiating reconciliation with people. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about reconciling God and man, and Jesus initiates this reconciliation. And so when you think about that, you must look at the imagery that we see in Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, please go there. If you don't have your Bible, you can look on your phone. If you don't have a phone, you can look right up there on the screen. Philippians chapter 2. I love the way that this is phrased. If you don't have the new international version, that's cool. But I love the way that the NIV actually phrases this. It's talking about the life of Jesus. And the book of Philippians actually is dealing with an argument that two women had against each other, Udia and Syntyche, and they had these issues that they had with one another. And so Jesus, uh, Paul rather, has this Imagery he gives in Philippians chapter two of how to deal with the problems. And he says in Philippians chapter two, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Oh, man. Let me just read that again he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What an amazing picture. Jesus, the Son of God. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then at least look at the stories that are written about him. The stories written about Jesus is he's always serving people. He's always helping people. The very first miracle he did was turning water into wine. Jesus When even when he does other miracles, it's always the position of service. Jesus could have swallowed a camel, or he could have floated on air. He could have done things to impress people, but he used his power as a way to leverage service and care. The other thing is that Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of God. That's a big deal. If I, you know, my dad, people don't know who my dad is up here. But if my dad was like Magic Johnson or Barack Obama, I would be dropping his name all the time. Because when people think that they know someone that can, they can use for their advantage, they, they put that name out. But Jesus, when people would know that he was a son of God, he would shy away because he never wanted to use his heritage or his power for his own advantage. What he did was he used all his power for service. Because he, 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 he wanted to be seen as lowly. And what he what they say is he didn't equality with God with equality, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage, put out there constantly. What Jesus did in verse 7, it says he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. His primary thought was, How can I serve people? And even though he deserved worship and was entitled to worship, it says later on in verse 8 and being found in appearance as a man, he does what? Humbles himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, even death on a cross, he dies for us. We can't apologize, but he dies on a cross. We can't say, I'm sorry, but he dies for people that were killing him. And even on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What a servant. What a person, what kind of person thinks of others more than himself? Oh, what a model of service Jesus gives us to serve your enemy, to serve a person that has it out against you. Whoa, that's tough. Tough. To know that someone wants, wants, your, wants your demise, but you care and serve and love them. Jesus did not use his power or his heritage to his own advantage. He only wanted to serve. He only wanted to care for people. So he humbled himself and he became obedient To death on a cross. And verse 9, this is what he says, Therefore God highly exalted him to a place and gave him a name above every name. He says, so he gives us this picture in Philippians 2. Why is Jesus the greatest? Not Not just because of who he was in heaven, but because of what he did on earth. He dies. And he says, it's because of that he has a name that's above every name. It's because he humbled himself to the point of death. he became this servant what do we learn from that primary idea in that passage y'all jesus did not live entitled and when you are in arguments with people and when you can't listen to people you believe that you are an entitled person and you say i won't listen because i'm this and there's something inside of you that lives this way. There's something inside of you that you have this dream of, of, about who you are or what you're supposed to have. And so you can't break down the pride with inside of you. And so Jesus doesn't use anything to his advantage. He just yields himself. Now, um, today we won't really spend a lot of time there, although I would love to, but I just... I love being insanely practical with things like this because people are like, well, what is pride? What, what is pride? I don't, I'm really not sure. Okay, we're going to talk about it. We're going to make sure you know what it is so that you can be sure, okay? So, being that pride is always whispering entitlement. I'll tell you how it manifests in my marriage, okay? Now we're getting real. Praise God. Like, There are times when my wife will make it so incredibly clear that what she told me to do was right. And I have a hard time sitting there agreeing. And so I will find the one thing I was right about and I will do stuff like this. She'll be like, "Um, you know, honey, you know, I told you that you know, when you left the house, you should have taken out the trash and this, that, and the other. And I'm sitting there like, well, give me an example of when that happened. Like, just, can, you, can you give me some examples, like just relevant examples? She's like, well, I just said that when you were supposed to take out the trash, like you were supposed to do that. I'm like, well, I just, I just feel like you have it out against me. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there arguing. I'm sitting there arguing such a simple idea. And I can't agree because I don't like to be wrong, but moreover, I don't want to feel underneath her. See, that's the real issue. The issue isn't what we're talking about. The issue is me and her. And I don't want to feel like I'm underneath. I feel better being over top. And so the reality is, I can't be in a lowly position because i got to win. And so my pride masquerades itself as confidence. Because, you know, my wife loves a confident leader, and you know what I'm saying? i got to be confident. My pri- and, and I tell myself, I'm just being, you know, I'm just being the man of the house. I'm just trying to lead. You know, just let me lead. So I'm confident. But my pride is masquerading itself. And, what, and I'm going to ask you a question. What does your pride masquerade itself as? What, what, is, what is your pride masquerading itself as? I know that we could sit here and break down the Greek words of Philippians, but I'm asking you, how is pride fooling you? Is it your sarcasm? You know that little, that little thing you got to say at the end of a conversation? Because really what sarcasm is doing is that you're throwing something, you're interjecting something in there just so that it deflates what other people were saying. And it puts attention back on you. Is it your so-called intellect because you think you're smart? Is it your fashion or your body image? Is it your so-called commitment to excellence? All these things help us to, they masquerade itself as something positive, but it's destroying relationships. And that's, listen, pride will destroy your relationships. And it might be destroying your relationships right now. It will destroy your relationships. It will crush the people closest to you. And you say, you say, I'm not sure how pride manifests itself in me. Someone close to you does. (laughs) Now, watch this. You go out to eat after this, right? Watch this, watch this, watch this. You go out to eat after this. Y'all get to eat right, some good food. And In the middle of the conversation, go, you know, the pastor was talking today. He said, he said, how does pride manifest itself in us? So what do you think, look, what do you think, how do you think pride, don't, don't ask about them. How do you think pride manifests itself in me? Now, if it takes people more than 30 seconds, they scared, okay, they scared. <laughs> they scared to say something. And the person that's looking away, that's the person that got something to say, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Everybody gets nervous, so look. Just set the tone, set the atmosphere, say, hey listen, okay, real talk, real talk. Is there something that I do? <laughs> is, there, is there something that I do that, is, that, that could be pride that's hurting our relationship? And listen. I will not argue with, this, argue with you about this. Oh, we're going to be great today. <laughs> we're going to put in some work today. Because then, then what you're saying is, I actually want to listen to what you have to say. I'm not going to defend myself. See, because I am more concerned about being effective in serving people than having a reputation... That makes me look bigger than other people. You see, my whole life, I've worked to have a bigger reputation where people can see me. I've been the highlight I'm always the highlight of my highlight reel. I'm always the big person in my mind. But I think that what I'm learning is that I need to become smaller in my own mind so I can help other people. So help me reduce the way I think about myself. And all our culture says, love yourself, think highly of yourself. I get it. There is something about self-esteem but there's also something about humility we don't talk enough about. And so, today, I want you to break up with pride. I want you to have a breakup. Break up. It's not helping you. It's not. You say, goodbye pride. You're not my master. You're not my warden. You're not my boss. You're not my boyfriend. I'm moving out. I won't be with you no more. you caused enough problems for me. I'm going to take the remote back from you, and I'm going to start doing things that I know I should have been doing in the first place. I'm going to start apologizing. Praise God. I'm going to start apologizing for some things. I'm going to make that the habit of my life. I'm going to apologize to people. Okay, pride, bye. I'm going to start apologizing to people. And and when you do it, the whole room's gonna fall out. <laughs> Everybody's gonna be like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! No! <laughs> okay, no! I'm gonna start complimenting people, right? I'm even gonna compliment people when they do a good job but didn't meet my expectations. I'm gonna start complimenting people. I'm going to write a thank you note to people because, see, this is what happens. When I have a problem with people, I get real detailed. But when when they do a good job, I say, thanks, right? (laughs) I promise you, I'm just going to start listening. I'm going to start taking an inventory about how much I'm talking and how little I'm listening. I'm going to stop being passive-aggressive. I'm going to break up with passive aggressiveness. All right, I'm going to stop taking the back door to arguments and just s- s- low-key trying to win everything in an argument. All right, and I'm just going to, I'm going to start actually like letting people... Like, I'm going to start hearing the perspective of other people. And I am going to remove entitled away from my category, away from my vocabulary... I'm going to leave entitlement and start living for service. Because I want to be like Jesus, who could have lived entitled but lived as a servant. Some of you can start saying, man, I'm going to admit I've got some problems in my life. I've been keeping them real quiet for a long time. I've got a drinking problem that nobody knows about man, I I low-key, I smoke and no one knows and I just can't stop and I don't tell anybody I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to admit it because I'm breaking up with pride I'm going to start hanging out with people and letting people into my life and I'm going to stop having people be the problem And I'm going to start looking at other problems. I'm going to tell my city group, my my growth group, things that are going on with me. And you're going to start living like you're not bigger than other people, but you're going to start living, not that you're a small person, but you're actually small when it comes to the way that you think of yourself so that you can help other people. You're going to look at others' interests. And today, stop following the emotions that are destroying you and your friends and start following the person that died for you. The person that did not live entitled, but died to serve you. Let's start following him. We are going to spend two more weeks in this. And I promise you, I promise you, if you apply this to your life, if you apply this to your life, whether you're a Christian or not, people will start saying, man, I'm so glad you're here. You know, there's something about them that just is so beneficial when they're around. And really what they're saying is you're a great person. And if you spend your whole life being great in skills but not great in character, you'll do some great things, but people won't. Your funeral will be limited. They'll talk about what you accomplished, but they'll have very little to say about who you are. And I pray that each one of us, when our day comes and our casket is closed, I pray the room is filled with tears, not because of what we were able to accomplish, but because of who we are. And our kids will celebrate us. I pray that's who you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this series. Thank you that you are a great God. Thank you that you sent your great son. And Lord, as we get ready to prepare for communion, I pray that we would examine ourselves. I pray that we would look to you And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would take just a few moments to ask ourselves those key questions. Am I following my emotions more than I'm following you? Am I allowing myself to shut down arguments, to shut down all types of conversations? God, I pray we would unfollow our pride and start following the great one. Let us throw away all sense of entitlement and start living to serve, to serve others. We would serve this great God in Jesus' name.